0: Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com. I'm so thankful to start a series on the reign of God. And if you uh, are familiar with the concept of kingdom, you know this has come up a lot on my podcast over the past few months but I want to keep exploring it with more Bible teachers and preachers who are helping us understand its great value. This time, I've got one of my favorite guests and one of my best friends on the show. It's Jamie Thompson, and we're going to spend several sessions together because when we recorded, it was over two hours. So I'm going to break it up into a nice little mini-series about the reign of God. Let's begin, shall we? Jamie, you've been on my podcast many times, and so many the, means you can't remember how many. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the diehards will know who you are and uh, be able to probably quote back your family and congregation and and uh, work for the church. But in case somebody this is the first episode that they were ever to listen to, um, I like to introduce my guests. So why don't you tell us who you are, who your family is, and what you do for a living—that kind of stuff.
1: My name is Jamie Thompson. Um, I've got a wife, Elizabeth, and three kids. We live just a mile or two down the road from you guys. Right. So we get to spend a lot of time with you, which I'm mm-hmm. thankful for. We go to church at uh, Grapevine um, up the road a little bit. and um, I'm a... You're a
0: congregational teacher. That's correct, yep. How
1: often do you get to teach? Uh, about once a month. We're, we've got a very large um, teaching group, which is a blessing, but also means I don't get as maybe as much practice as I'd like. But Sure. you know, there's pros and cons for everything in life, but um, I do get to speak once a month, so that's positive. When you are preparing your
0: sermons, so once a month, um, obviously that that gives you as the, my reckoning is 30 days to prepare. Um, (laughs) How how does your, I guess, process go? If you're going from brainstorming to you know, study to to outline and drafting. What does it look like to, to write a sermon for you?
1: Well, typically I like to do expository sermons. So this one is kind of an outlier for me because it's a topical sermon. Sure. But, um, you know, typically it involves a lot of thinking about it and reading the scriptures. If it's expository and then a whole lot of, um, you know, cramming right at the last second. (laughs) (laughs) No, I try and read the text a lot. Um, And get a a sense of, uh, over the last couple of years, I really try and get a sense of uh, what the overall point of the, not just the verse, but chapter and and the whole book. Because I think we can often lose a lot of the sense of what the author and the Holy Spirit is trying to get across if we just focus verse by verse, Mm -hmm. although that is necessary. Mm -hmm. And so I try and spend a lot of time um, trying to understand what the flow of thought is through the passages and uh, I also look at a variety of other commentaries, as many as I have time to get my hands on and read, and try and summarize them in my own words, and uh, take what I like and take what I don't, and, uh, well, rather leave what I don't, and uh, put some of my own thoughts in there. And um, then I try and know my passage or topic as well as I can, because I my favorite. Public speakers, my favorite preachers are ones that don't look at their notes, Mm. and I feel like they're talking to me and to the rest of the audience. Right. So I really try and emulate that. Right. Something I'm practicing right now. Others can judge how well I'm doing on that. Yeah. But I I find that um, the audience is much more engaged if I'm not standing behind the podium, reading my notes and looking up occasionally, but um, you know, walking around and um, noticing when people are interested and expounding upon that point. When they're bored. Then move on, because uh, I guess they've got that point and right. um, read the audience to to modify what I wanted to say. You know, I have
0: I have several thoughts. First, your father-in-law taught me at a, a young preachers' workshop one time. What's boring with a capital B? Have you ever heard that? No. So he has you know several days worth of content, and as he George Batty commonly does in sermons. He'll have like seven questions, you know, at the beginning, yep, and then yep. kind of trolls you with it throughout the rest of the sermon. Well, he does that in his preacher trainings as well. What's boring with the capital B? And then like several hours later, he's talking about the what things that you should do and you should not do as a preacher. And reading your outline is boring with the capital B. That's what he <laughs> says. And that's always stuck with me because I agree that... Um, looking at the audience eye contact is such a, a better engagement tool than looking at your sermon. But it doesn't mean that you're just speaking on the fly. And I've had young men who've who've tried to get away from their notes because they thought, Well if I'm engaging then it'll be a more dynamic sermon, but then they get lost and have to run back to the podium and that makes it awkward and, you know, difficult.
1: Yeah, I think it takes a lot more work to be able to talk a little more I can never say it.
0: Extemporaneously. (laughs) Thank you. Off the cuff.
1: (laughs) Because you have to know your material really well. Exactly. Whereas you can type out a set of notes, forget forget anything about it, everything about it, and come back to it and read it off word for word. That's a lot easier.
0: Yeah. I I would suggest as well, you know, preaching is my job, so public speaking is, it's got to be something that you want to be good at or to improve upon. But... I worry sometimes, and again, I'm thinking about young preachers, but I worry sometimes that people think that I'm just up there randomly saying these things, and they all string together. And what they don't understand maybe is that, to your point, I have been thinking about this passage for days, weeks, sometimes months, I feel like. And so the the presentation really is almost like a a graduation of thought. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just this made-up thing, or it popped into my brain. Rather, even though it does feel extemporaneous, I've been thinking about this for a long time. The, the thoughts have been there. And yeah, I guess I want to encourage young men to not just try to speak on the fly, but to your point, study the passage, study it again and again and again.
1: Yeah, it's like when you have a conversation with your friend, if it's something that you're passionate about, you know a lot about it, and you don't have to look at your notes, because you're... You you know it by heart, mm-hmm. whether it's baseball stats or sports or fishing or whatever you're interested in. Like you don't have to look down at your notes. You you know your material and you can have a discussion about it. And I feel like that's what it's like if you're passionate about your sermon material. Mm-hmm. Then you can have. It's not really a dialogue because the audience isn't talking. But right, if you pay attention, then you can see what they're interested in, mm-hmm. and you can help that guide the the not the flow of your thoughts because you know. You're, you've already got your thoughts worked out, but it's your your flow of um, the hmm, what would you say? Flow of your uh, the vibe. The, the yeah. vibe. <laughs> yeah, The the vibe. The, the word
0: of the week for me it seems. I feel like I've used it three or four times. You're right. It, you're. It's not like you're changing your content, but maybe the 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 process by which you're communicating it can. There's a little Tempo. bit more wiggle room.
1: What would you call it? Tempo. The tempo. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know, like you go, th- stuff that people understand, you can go through fairly quickly. If they don't quite understand what you're saying, you can see right. you get puzzled looks. Right. Then you can slow down mm-hmm. and explain it a little more. Mm-hmm. Well, then I would say, in
0: that regard, it is a conversation where you're speaking and their body language is communicating. Exactly. And so, we're not, by the way, audience, we're not talking just about sermon prep. This is, uh I've enjoyed this intro conversation but I hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are because I do find it fascinating uh, that you would have a conversation with 50 to 100 people Mm -hmm. and you would be able to read based off of their response I like that word tempo to know when to elaborate or when to succinctly go through something so this study that you've got doesn't fit the mold by the way before maybe we transition too far, I just sent this picture to you on the, your phone. And uh, maybe I'll put it with this podcast on my website. But it talks about context and all of the different things that go into the context. So instead of just going verse by verse, which is, you, know, you said you want to do more than that. You want to be able to accurately speak to you know that section. Mm-hmm. Um, for the reader, or I'm sorry, the reader, the listener, there's, uh, imagine a bubble chart, and in the middle says context or text. And then there's six bubbles that help make up the context, and that includes historical, cultural, geographical, visual, linguistic, and literary. And so the richness of a passage, when you know these things, uh, you're able to interpret it in a more, I think, um, I don't know if more healthy is the grammatically appropriate way to call it, but it's a healthier way to, to interpret it than just to take a verse and like, pluck it out of its context and make a point off of it. Right.
1: Well, one of my favorite quotes from T.A. Carson, I think he attributed it to his father-in-law, is a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. There you go. <laughs> and I think you know what we're trying to do as Bible students is to understand what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand. Sure. We can make Scripture mean almost anything we want if we abuse the context. But the context, to your point, is more than just the the word surrounding the word you're looking at. It's uh, we need to understand um, where the the author was coming from and what the overall message is, and the genre and history and so on. I like the chart.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. Um, the study we're going to talk about today: the reign of God, right? Reign That's of right. God, kingdom. The the notes that I received from you. The top part of it's like smashed together, and I can't see. Oh. Until it's mystery, says, mystery yeah. notes. Well, I have enough to ask a really accusatory question Excellent. That, that because I don't understand it. So this is this would be a practical example, listeners, of me not having the context of your notes. And so I'm <laughs> going to make it a, a pretext like a, for a proof text. Right. Anyway, um, the 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 reign of God. Uh, we're not looking at a specific text, but rather we're kind of looking at it through the scriptures. Why this study? Why did you study it? Why did you feel the need to present it? Why do our listeners need to hear it?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And although I don't have it in my notes, that's how I started it out when I preached it. Why should we care about the reign of God? Mm. Um, I think the short answer is the Bible seems to care about it. Mm. Um, I I guess when we get to the end, we'll talk about um, conclusions and wrap ups and why we should care about it again. But, you know, the. This study is an attempt at looking at the overall narrative of the Bible, one of the narratives of the Bible. There's there's many themes. It's a complex set of books. But one of the things that the Bible begins with and ends with is the reign of God. I've got here Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of history begins with God reigning. Mm -hmm. Then Revelation 19, verse 6, John says, As I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, which means praise Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Mm -hmm. So the Bible begins and ends with the reign of God. And it's very interested in the fact that God reigns, I guess, partly um, in contrast to the pagan gods that uh, reign over a small domain. Right. God reigns over everything. And um, I think that has implications for our Christian lives, but it also has... um, it's important to keep that in mind when we read the story of the Bible, that who God is, that He is the God that reigns. I did a a study series recently called the Divine Nature.
0: It was just five sermons on the Godhead, mm-hmm. and one of the points in that study series that I enjoy preaching is, I, I think it's pronounced the Shema. I don't
1: know that it's in Deuteronomy six. Oh, you right. know the the like the Jewish pledge of allegiance, right? I was told it was pronounced Shema. Hopefully, one of us is right, and people driving in their cars will be like, <laughs> "Yes, <laughs> Jonathan was right." Oh, yes, <laughs> Jamie was right. Yes, and that's what we
0: want to take away from this conversation that we were right. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but in the Shema, the idea of "Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one," um, and and some people who believe in a oneness doctrine, that's like their their proof text, you know. But one of the, the points from a source that I used in the study was talking about that. Uh, you know, God's progressive nature of revelation, meaning from Genesis to Revelation, slowly there's this progression that reveals his will. It's not all given in Genesis 1, right? Mm-hmm. But when it came to the Shema and this Pledge of Allegiance, it wasn't that God is one and that there's one being with three different name tags, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the the children of Israel were going into a land where there was 234 pagan idols. And God is saying, I'm not just number 235. Right. There is one, meaning there is one divine source. There's no other divine source. Anyway, um, I guess trying to merge the thought together as you talk about the reign of God and then uh, this Shema, the idea is that that God is reigning and the, the book seems to be about him reminding us again and again that there is but one divine and it's not going to be sprinkled all over like the pagans were believing.
1: One of the, a study that I'd love to do one day is the names that God presents for Himself, mm-hmm. and you know, like He says in Exodus to uh, to Moses that uh, He is, "I am who I am." I'm Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and that the the patriarchs had not had known Him by that name. He's revealing Himself more and more. You know, He was known as el shaddai and lord of hosts and so on like that but, yeah um yeah that's that would be a progressive good study. revelation of of god's character
0: through his name you should come you should study that and then come back on the podcast all right i'll, I'll interview you for it. it um you be, before we get too far into the the study proper i'm curious about this infographic at least i see it on my notes and it's talking about the favored citizens of the nations in Christ. Is that in your introduction? Or did that like pop up from nope, some that other... that popped point? up. So we'll what, get... What page is it on your study? Page four. Oh, okay. So that was where I was going to get you with a, a gotcha question. Yeah. But I'll come back to it then. Well, we
1: can talk about it if you want. I'm flexible.
0: Not, not at all. It's simply, like I said, the little blue dot is at the top <laughs> of page one. So that's where I thought we were beginning. But we're beginning with God's eternal reign. Um... Do you think it's more difficult for us living in a democratic republic to appreciate a reign? Versus... I came from a
1: constitutional monarchy, so it's easy for me. <laughs> are you being facetious, or are you not being sarcastic? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, God reigns as an absolute monarch, not as not as a figurehead. Yeah, exactly. And so His will is absolute. He reigns forever and ever, and so His reign is. Is different, and I think that it we are more removed from a monarchy and that style of government than the uh, than the ancients, the patriarchs, the Israelites, uh, even the the Christians in the first century. They were well familiar with with kings and emperors, and they understood what that kind of absolute uh, power and reign meant. And we're a little bit further removed from that, but you know we do have history to look at. But sure. you know, and, and I think we in the West, uh, in the states in particular, we have this individualistic spirit where we have a, a culture of freedom, which I think is very valuable from a sense of being able to have religious freedom, and um, in an attempt to not be swayed by the mob and uh, follow our own conscience. Uh, I think we're very blessed to have that in our country. But it also means that we're that little bit more removed from the sense of submitting our will to mm-hmm. a sovereign.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. The idea of brotherhood and fellowship are often um, we'd rather be the lone wolf, yes, than part of something that's bigger than ourselves.
1: I think that the Bible picture is we're individually accountable, but we're also part of a group. I think it's interesting that we have the libertarian people who are all about the individual and then we've got this new woke movement which is only about the group identity mm-hmm. where I think the Bible is somewhere in between Sure, where we're, we're part of the church and um, we are answerable to, answerable to that. You know Daniel um, confesses the sins of his nation. He didn't commit those but he was a part of that group right? and um, was confessing uh, that he was part of that and asking for forgiveness yet the bible makes it very clear that no one's going to be condemned for their father's sin right so
0: right i like that so in the reign of god then um we may not have a lot of personal experience with absolute authority from our our government uh serving a monarch etc but to your point we can read history and and really we can challenge ourselves to uh, put ourselves in their shoes, so it's not so far removed that w- we couldn't give it give it the try. Um, how is this idea of kingdom um, going to, I guess, weave itself through the scriptures? You have a question that says, "What is the kingdom, realm, reign, or both?" And where I'm coming from is, uh, again, if I'm a maybe a, a biblical novice, well. Uh, what what should I make of this as it's being woven all through the scriptures?
1: Well, I think a, a big part of what I'm wanting to get at tonight, or whenever you're listening to this, is we often think of a kingdom as the land, right? right. So there's a clearly defined part of a country or landmass that is, that's the kingdom sometimes in the Bible that is how a kingdom the kingdom of God, the reign of God is 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 meant, but oftentimes what's meant by um, kingdom is the the authority that God has, right. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, we don't mean always this you know small country in Palestine or, I don't know if you think of America as a Christian country, which is a different conversation. Sure. Somewhere in North America or, you know, the church building, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God where God has authority. And, you know, that's all through the Bible. That kind of language is used. I got a whole list here. You want to go through them now?
0: Yeah, I think so. I'm looking on your list. I'm trying to find the place where Jesus said, uh, in the Jonathan Edwards version, don't look here for the kingdom or there for the kingdom, for the kingdom of God is within you. That one as always, I thought, helped me appreciate this point uh, as much as any other scripture where he just very explicitly told me it's not going to be the building, it's not going to be the country, it's going to be in me.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. That's but a let's, good point. Go. I don't have that one, so you added something to the conversation here.
0: Hey, there we go. Yeah. Um, How should we do this for our listeners? Do you want to.
1: Let's just let's just whip through them. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time. Okay. Um uh, so Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He's not talking about uh, a country or a realm there. He's talking about the the rule. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 31. Um it says while the word was still in the king's mouth, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadne- Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Now, what has departed from King Nebuchadnezzar? It's not the the land. He's still there. right? It's the authority. Mm -hmm. It's the Mm reign has departed from him. Mm -hmm. Mark 1, verse 15, And saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew 3, 2, uh, And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. It's not talking about um, his uh, realm. It's talking about his reign. Mark 11, verse 10, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mm-hmm. This is Jesus coming. Um, it's not talking about uh, the, king, the the land of Israel. It's talking about the reign of God through David. Uh, Luke 21, 31. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. How, it's how can a uh, realm come near to you? It can't. The rain comes near to you.
0: Right. So I'm just processing these scriptures out loud on behalf of the listener. And yes, it does seem to indicate that uh, there's not like a in the in the way that some organizations have places of sanctuary, you know, mm-hmm. if you could just get inside these walls, it's sanctuary and nobody can hurt you. The Bible doesn't indicate that God's sanctuary is going to be in a like a, a location uh, specific. As far as the bricks don't make it holy, uh, the the sheetrock doesn't make it holy. The kingdom seems to be about God's authority.
1: Yes. Now, sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of Israel, it does mean the literal land. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's not always that, and often it's not, but it's the reign of God. Mm -hmm. And that helps us as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. But I guess the, the point that we're trying to drive at is that there has never, ever been a time where God is not reigning. God has always reigned. God is reigning now, and God will continue to reign into eternity. And his kingdom has no bounds because his authority and reign has no bounds. I left my big study Bible inside, which is a tragedy because
0: uh, I'm having a Bible conversation and I left my Bible indoors. Listeners, don't go anywhere without your sword. You want to borrow mine? (laughs) No, I had an image that I drew in it. Oh. And I'm trying to remember where I drew it. And I think, um, oh man, I can't even tell you, but my study Bible has like the, the, two-inch-wide margins on the side, and so I I put it in a lot of notes. But I've got uh, a crown with an arrow pointing to the cross and then with an arrow pointing back to the crown. And the idea is that God reigned and he handed authority over to Jesus, who will hand authority back over to the Father. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it was in 1 Corinthians 15 is where I had that picture drawn uh, of Jesus handing authority back over to his Father. And the idea... I guess the image of what that that little linear graphic is showing that God always reigns. There's never a time, even, I mean, I'm thinking about, for example, like uh, in the years before the flood, when the whole world is only doing what is evil except for Noah and his family. Even then, God's reigning. That's right. And when uh, Jesus is being crucified, God's reigning. And Mm -hmm. like all of the times when it seems as though Life is out of control. God is reigning. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're going to talk about that more in this study. But I guess that's just kind of what I'm processing when I'm hearing you say these things: is that uh, I'm I'm taking away comfort that I I can get through life when it's out of control because He's reigning. Does that make sense?
1: That's uh, yeah. That's that, that's the point. You know, we've got a lot of scriptures here, but uh, let's just jump straight into that. That if if God is always reigning and he has always reigned, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? I think is a, is a fair question, right? Oh, that's a question in your study. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we are now. <laughs> I didn't preempt
0: it. I was just... Yeah. I was, it, I'm was. i validating that you're a good sermon writer because you <laughs> naturally drew me to ask that question. And then, okay. So yeah, let, let me ask it then on your behalf. How are bad things happening if God's really reigning? Because it seems like if he's reigning then things should be obeying his will.
1: We need to keep in mind free will, but we also need to keep in mind that it's to God's glory that he can use the evil that's committed in the world to accomplish his will. So I think a good example of that is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. So that's in the latter part of Genesis. You get the story of Jacob which in large part is the story of Joseph going down to Egypt. Remember, his um, brothers had tried to kill him, and right. then they were convinced, no, let's not kill him, let's just sell him as a slave. So he goes down to Egypt. They tell Jacob that he's dead, his favorite son from his favorite wife is dead. And yeah. uh, there's that uh, whole story there. And uh, J- uh, Joseph is able to save his family because when there's a famine, he's stored up grain in Egypt and is able to keep them alive, and he brings them down. Then after Jacob dies, they go back up to the land of Canaan to bury his bones, and the the brothers are worried. They say, you know, our father's dead now. Uh, maybe Joseph won't respect us now that our father's dead, and maybe he'll kill us because you know he's the the regent in in Egypt and he can do whatever he wants. Right. And so they come up and say, hey, uh, we're good, right, Joseph? <laughs> and Joseph says. Um, don't be afraid, I will take care of you and your little ones. And he said, uh, what you did, you meant for evil, but Mm -hmm. God meant it for good, Mm -hmm. Genesis uh, 50, verse 20. So, you think
0: he could have said that while he was in chains, being led down to Egypt?
1: (laughs) This is purely speculation, right? I have no idea, but I think if anyone in the Bible could say something like that, it would be Joseph or Daniel Mm -hmm. or the Lord. Mm. I think um, Joseph seems, in many ways, to be prefiguring Jesus. I think that's the reason that Stephen brings him up in, was it Acts chapter 7? seven, seven. Yeah, in the sermon. Yeah.
0: Or Th- 6, Acts 6 and 7, yeah.
1: Because um, I think all the stories that Stephen brings up are types of, of Jesus. So I think that Stephen's identifying Joseph as a type of Jesus. Yeah. And suffering and uh staying true and um redeeming his his brethren
0: well you have you know to answer this question uh how can god reign when evil exists genesis 50 verse 20 um stands on its own as as the proof that god uses or can use evil to accomplish his will joseph's life ultimately uh proves that you have other examples here um of people who rebel against God but but God is still king and how his sovereignty isn't overthrown um, just because people aren't submitting to his will. What Bible verses, scriptures, etc. make that point? Well, we're going to cut it off right there. And you need to come back next week if you want to hear about other scriptures besides Joseph and Genesis 50 that make this point. And uh, it's a good conversation. I really want you to, to uh, subscribe to the podcast so you, you don't miss the updates. They, I try to get them out every Monday, but it's really important for me that um, my listeners subscribe. It helps the podcast maybe get to new audiences. Even though this is a conversation that's between Christians, we'd love for it to be used as an evangelistic tool if it's helpful for others to hear the gospel and to understand it better. So, uh, please subscribe and leave five-star reviews if it's helpful um, for you to do so. It's definitely helpful for me. And come back next week for the second part of the series. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon.
1: Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that
0: is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well,